You are listening to Lightning Strikes Thrice, a Final Fantasy XIII series game club podcast. This is episode 10, covering chapter 12, and I am your host, Chris Taylor, and with me is... This is Graham Markison. And I'm Matt Marcus. Are you trying to get into radio, Graham? I am. We kind of are. Okay. I can't help it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, let's check the data log and see what happened last time. Fang and Vanille visit their home in Awerba for the first time in centuries, seeking a way to free themselves from their Lassie curse. But what they find is a broken and empty shell of a town, half buried in a sea of crystal dust. Meanwhile, Cocoon, the home of their fellow Lassie, is poised to join the village in oblivion. There, the people stand ready to slaughter each other, their minds twisted by fallacy illusions. The Lassie have no choice but to return and prevent impending devastation. Even if every man, woman, and child on the floating world regards them as mortal enemies, it is still their home. But the shackles of the foul sea bind their fates. With their focus haunting their every step, the very act of setting on foot on Cocoon might invite disaster. Yet return they must. There is a war to stop and foul sea rule to overthrow. In this darkest hour, they must hold fast to hope if they are to protect Cocoon. The time for appealing to long-departed deities, lost loved ones, or lights in the sky is past. As the Lassie fly towards their final destiny, they make the only choice that remains to them, a promise to be true to themselves. start in Cocoon. Bit Rains is speaking over a video feed in front of what looks like a racing festival. He does this really funny thing where he like starts it with a snap, a finger snap, which is pretty great. After the race starts, the sea heroes pop out of a warp gate and basically crash the party. During the scuffle, uh, at some point, Snow raises his hand and sort of triumphant, you know, hey, I just saved a guy from crashing. And uh, the camera shows his pulseless sea brand and everybody starts to panic. And he has a funny line here where he just says, yeah, pro- probably should have covered that up, which I appreciate because, I mean, he should have. <laughs> this whole scene, there's a lot of fighting and hijacking vehicles and everybody is out with their Eidolons at this point doing, you know, crazy acrobatics and stuff. And after the scene, it flows right into a battle with an Anavatapta war mech while riding Odin. And it's a pretty straightforward battle, although I failed this battle about three times because I could not for the life of me get the chain gauge to break into staggered, which is what you need to do in order to easily beat it. Mm-hmm. You can change roles while you have your summon out. You know, I had watched the speed run and I saw that they used the whatever the attack is on the O button to build the gauge faster in this fight. And I would just do that and it just wouldn't get to stagger. I mean, maybe my numbers were just low. Sounds like you're bad at video games, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that may be. I think I was able to beat this with my summon, which is kind of impressive since I uh, I wasn't actually using lightning at the time. Right. I mean, you want to beat it with the summon like you're supposed to. You know, if you don't, you get thrown into a battle with 
uh, snow and vanille and lightning. And, you know, I haven't used snow at all almost the entire game. And so he's like just rocking a level four weapon. <laughs> it's just total garbage. Mm. Well, the scene, is, the scene is like easily the high point of the game. It's the best scene. There's just so much that happens in it. It's it's very kinetic and frantic. It leans a little bit into like that Transformer movie shaky cam sort of. It can be a little tough to follow what's going on, but it definitely is the most impressive. Everybody gets a moment to do something except for Vanille, who's useless. The thing that confuses me, though, is they show up and then people start immediately dying. So what what was this thing? Was this a like a NASCAR meets military procession? Like, are they, you know, lightning murders like so many people in this scene, like so many drivers. Yeah, it's like literal terrorism, like a way to prove everybody in Cocoon right when you just warp in from another dimension and like wage war on a government race. It's right. so out of character. It's very weird. And, you know, they, they weren't attacking them. They just showed up and started murdering people. Like, some of the racers, like, they have these, like, long-tailed racing helmets or whatever. They look like they're just, you know, professional racers. But then the guy that says, oh, I'm going to kill you, and Lightning says, you first, that's just a straight-up psychop soldier. So, like, I'm very confused as to, like, what what is this race that had this big political speech in front of it? I think it's just, a, like, a festival uh cultural thing that cocoon has yeah it's very convenient that this turned into a massive citywide scuffle because otherwise this is this would look real bad <laughs> still does yeah after the battle pulse monsters start warping into the streets of eden it's an invasion the armies of eden deploy and begin fighting off the waves of adamantelids and juggernauts meanwhile in eden's capital building rain's quarters are invaded by rigdia and the cavalry troops Radia kills Reigns. I have no idea why Reigns decides he has to kill himself. Well, I mean, my guess is, you know, the whole idea, he got reanimated by Bartandalus, and he's supposed to be a Falsy, you know, Manchurian puppet candidate dude. And I guess the idea is this is another time when you're a character defies their own fate and chooses their own destiny. But not really. All he does is just he tells Rigdia, kill me, and then Rigdia kills him. And there you have it. That's the whole Reigns is a walking corpse subplot. Mm -hmm. Reigns is like 1% more of a character than Rigdia. All of the side cast. He's like very underdeveloped. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like he has that one speech right when you fight him. But other than that, yeah, none of the side characters, like even Yogg just doesn't, doesn't really amount to a whole lot. Yeah, they're half of one dimension. Yeah. The invasion is very good, though. Oh, yeah. It's interesting. This is another point where the visual scale of seeing these animals sort of all over the place, it really sells the uh, the scale of the invasion and the chaos that's going on. And it just feels super dynamic. And this is something that the earlier parts of the game didn't have at all. No, yeah. Chapter one had it. And that was it. And I think this is the game they wanted to make, and they finally fucking nail it at the end of the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Final Fantasy Thirteen does scale well. Not all the time, but often enough for it to be, like, a characteristic of this game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, Radia has this line. It goes, damn idealism. You feed it blood and it howls for more. And it just falls flat. It's such a nothing line. Stop pretending that you have themes game. That's okay. Later on, Hope just comes in and states the premise of the game for us in case we didn't get it. 
Okay, like, and I should say that like there are themes in this game, and I think they're explored enough to be a characteristic of this game. But like that damn idealism line just comes to the left wing. Yeah, there's no sense of like what idealism towards what. <laughs> you know, there isn't like there isn't a religion. There, there's a government, I guess, but there isn't like I believe in this, and other people say I believe in that. It's more like I have power, and I tell you what to do, and then someone says, "No, you you can't tell me what to do," and then that's that's the theme. And you know, if this game did try to do that, it would be as ham fisted as I believe X. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. Yeah, no, it would. I'm glad they didn't. After the scene, we get a Crystarium expansion. Everybody's level nine now. The, the high point here is every character has access to a, uh, I think it's a six AP. Is it six or five? It's, it's five. It's full AP. It's either five or six. It, it's five because um, because you get your fifth ATB gauge here too, I believe. Right? Or is that was that the previous expansion? Well, you got your fifth, and then you get your fifth, and then everybody gets one through levels. So I think it's a six. Because you have, I only still have two, five right now, and three, I and like all of, all of all of those abilities are five. So okay, yeah, you do only get five. Yeah. Okay, that's why I was confused. You get six and thirteen too. Spoilers: gotcha. It doesn't make make a difference at all. Well, like <laughs> if you upgrade your weapons, you do get six AP eventually. Oh, that's but right. Like, the yeah. ultimate weapons do give you an extra AP. Does it? That's true. Yeah. But that's such a non-reward, and that means I can do one more action after waiting for proportionally as long. Well, it means you can like queue up another action. You can queue up three two AP actions in one go, which I think yeah, is like oh, blitz, that's true. which is really good. Which is like obviously at that point, an extra AP isn't as big of a deal. But you know, it is really nice to be able to use three blitzes when I'm like fighting enemies. But that's that's a post game thing, really. All right. Well. So yeah, you get this five AP ability, right? Uh, there's one per character. They're all incredibly strong, right? Like, Fang gets High Wind, which, if you use it at the end, just does max... Uh, at the end of a high stagger enemy, near the end of their gauge, it just does max damage. And uh, Lightning gets the best ability in the game. Right, and also, if you have the Genji Glove later on, you can break the damage barrier, so High Wind is even better. But, yeah, I used Army L1 a lot. I'm no one's slayer! Because, you know, you, what you want to do with it is start chaining it once the enemy is staggered because each hit does about 15% of stagger gauge and you get a lot of hits in there. I think a couple of army of ones and pretty much any enemy is at 999%. You get 12 hits. You dad so much stagger bars so fast. Yeah. I didn't see it do that much damage for me, but it definitely helped. Like you, you hit it once or twice and then you switch to uh like a dual calm, you know, aggression or uh or tireless charge or something, and then you just wreck shop. Well, you're also doing it constantly, right? Uh, Lightning has this, uh, I can't remember the name of the weapon, but it's whenever you hit a guy, you get some ATB gauge. Oh, And okay, when, yeah. with Army of One, you're basically always doing it all the time. Axis Blade? Yeah, that's the one. Oh, the one I was using in this chapter, you get the Lionheart, and that's the one I leveled up to uh, Omega Weapon. Yeah, I think it's ultimate weapon right now and then it it's either the ultimate weapon. weapon or the mega weapon yeah whatever it was that, that one does the the quick stagger so you know that's the one i've yeah been that's using. like the uh they they stagger 15 percent early i think yeah they they stagger sooner and that that's been real great i completely uh dumped the gladius and went that way oh well, yeah you use the gladius until you get the lion heart 
Uh, I didn't start using the Axis Blade until I attempted the post-game, and then I gave up. <laughs> so, enemies in this area include the Bulwarker, which is a bulky mech enemy. These aren't too bad. You build Chain Gauge a little bit slowly against them. There's also uh, the Varcolasis. They're flying seats. They're pretty straightforward. You just smack them till they're dead. They're up in the rafters right now, if we didn't mention that. They're really high above the ground. And when they reach the edge of the platform, they pull out amp tech grenades out of their ass somehow, and then they all jump. It's really random. But th this was the point, like, I mentioned this all the way back in, like, episode one, that there's a point where they use amp tech. They can't just fall forever just because they're less C. And this is the scene I was talking about. Except for all the other times they just fall forever. It's a callback. Oh, yeah. It's a callback or a bookend. It's art. It's literary. I guess this was the one time that Bartandalus did not save them on purpose. <laughs> Maybe? I don't know. <laughs> it's like, that's such a hand wave that like, oh, they survived this thing they shouldn't have. Oh, Bartandalus did it. He literally says that. <sighs> well, Bartandalus did it every time because that's the theme of the game is that Bartandalus had a plan, executed it, and succeeded, and then the game's over. Yeah, pretty much. Ho like, Hope has a line when they fall down. That's how light gets around. Uh, it's it's like I remember it being a lot more hilarious than it was. Yeah, it's just cheese. Anyway, enemies down here include the regular assortment of human soldiers and war dogs. Although the Sanctum Seraph has the ability to summon a targeting beacon, so that any Bullwalker will have use a special attack. Going forward, many human enemies drop selling items upon defeat, including perfumes. Uh, the Calvary is after Orphan. They also plan to destroy it. The Lassie heroes need to get to Orphan before the Calvary, which, which is very funny. <laughs> well, because at this, do they? Yeah. Wait, do they intend to kill Orphan they right do. now? Or are they still, we have to protect Orphan? No, no, no. They want to kill sure. Orphan. They want to kill Orphan because when before you fought Bartandalus at the end of chapter 11, he said, well, the cavalry is going to go and kill Orphan anyway, but if you want to jump in, sure. Fucking. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really muddled. I mean, I guess the idea is that the cavalry would just get, like, wrecked, and therefore they would all die, which would be bad. But there's no reason why, if Orphan dies either way, what matter does it make in the end? I, I just know. pulled my face down so hard, I'm pretty sure I got an eye infection from all that exposed flesh. <laughs> Uh, well, at some point, a proto-behemoth crashes the highway and fights the heroes. It's uh, very easy because all of the Sanctum behemoths don't recover their HP when they transform. Only the Pulsian ones do, right? Like, I don't know if you noticed that, but oh, the Pulsian no. versions of an enemy always have an extra ability Ooh, I like that, that the Cocoon versions don't. I, I actually like that a lot because that means the like imperfection of humanity trying to clone oh, no thing. yeah they're like yeah. they're like breeding out the more feral aspect so they can order it around but as a result they have a weaker thing see that's cool like that was noticeable even in chapter five right yeah yeah that's true that's true well after we kill this behemoth we then get to meet roche who's somehow still around and a character in the game for some reason mm -hmm. he still wants to kill the lassie because he does i guess and uh he pilots the Proudclad again, which is the ship we fought earlier, and then this time we just beat up an airplane and start a boss. Yes, this is the fight with the Proudclad. This battle was really rough for me. You have a giant flying enemy. It's 
shooting attacks that hit everybody. The thing that got me is that he's completely immune to debuffs. And I was rolling with dual saboteurs, and that was the whole point of the saboteur was the debuff things. Didn't work at all. And it then starts buffing itself later on in the fight. It gives itself haste, bravery, and uh, faith. And it just starts doing a whole lot of damage. And you can't dispel it away. And you can't even use Dispelga, the technique. I tried to do that, and it just got rid of all my buffs. And it was completely demoralizing. On top of that, at the end of any stagger, he starts attacking with these retaliatory strikes. So basically, it gets extra turns within its extra turns. And that's the thing that kept killing me, is that I couldn't get out of healing in order to do damage. You basically have to wait until the retaliatory attacks stop in order to really do effective damage on it, at least for me. Did you know about Army of One yet? I'm one slave. Yes, I was. I know I told you about that over Slack. It was not helping. Really? Yeah. No, it took me three staggers to kill him. I swear to God, I don't know why. My numbers were just real bad this first half of this chapter. I definitely killed him in one stagger bar and thought this was like the easiest thing in the world. I have no. I also didn't have hope. Did you have hope with haste? Yeah. Hell yeah. No, I didn't. See, I was. I. I mean, I wasn't using hope at all. But also, when I switched to Hope in the fight after this, he didn't have haste yet either. And that was like the tipping point for me in this chapter was before Hope with haste, total pain. Right after that, everything was pretty manageable. It's a very strange thing with the mechanics of this game where you're either like failing horribly or you're cruising. Are you trying to tell me that Final Fantasy 13 might have an unbalanced battle system? Just a hair. Just a hair. Okay. I looked up the strat on the wiki about what to do about it. And the one that looked interesting to me was you control Fang and you use high wind to prevent the proud clad from going into stagger, which would prevent it from using the retaliatory strikes, keeping their DPS low. And that's interesting. It's an inversion against the mechanics that you're used to seeing. Like you want to stagger things and that helps. This is a case where maybe you don't want to stagger it, but it doesn't give you the tools to really do that unless you give, I don't know, all of your guys' stagger lock weapons. I mean, that would be interesting if they tried that. Yeah, it's kind of weird. High wind drains the stagger bar right. also. Right, that would be the other way to do it, just to use high wind instead. But then you're controlling Fang and controlling a sentinel is terrible. But you don't need to control her as the sentinel because retaliatory strike isn't happening. You just control yeah. her as commando. I, yeah, I guess you can like redo your your healing one to just keep her as commando with two two healers. Yeah, because, like, diversity is good. Well, you don't even need two healers, right? Like, diversity is typically good enough where you have the commando ravager and healer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you have hope as healer, that's good enough. Right, yeah. I was just about to say that, like, I didn't have too much of a problem with this boss. I think, like, later on, we fight the Proud Cloud again, and that was a bigger problem. See, I had the opposite. But anyway, we'll get there. After the battle, the heroes plan to tell everyone about what's going on so that they can stop the violence. That's, uh, like, the most fucking naive thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Like, I wonder if the... Just... <sighs> just a whole society, everyone will instantly become a good person if we tell them how it really is. Like, I bet this still did not play well before we lived in Hell World, let no. alone after. Yeah, no. this has, like... Uh, yeah, I don't want to invoke fake news, but... Yeah. <laughs> Uh, many years ago, I think I was discussing with someone in this game called Beyond Good and Evil. There's a big plot about like letting people know the truth and rebelling against the oppressive government. And uh, like people don't care about the truth. No one cares. No. Yeah, 
I've heard the trope described as very American. Yeah, that's that's interesting too because you know when I came to Final Fantasy Thirteen for the first time, I, I read about it on the Brainy Gamer blog, which is kind of defunct now. But one of the articles they wrote what a, a good podcast. Oh yeah, they had a podcast too. They had an article about how Final Fantasy Thirteen is very much a post nine eleven game in sense of like government control and paranoia and you know like a par- paranoia of the populace of things they don't understand and that's thematically interesting but of course the game doesn't really do much with that but you could see the parallels there and that's that would play into Can this you whole imagine square enix writing that game i know right but like i don't know it could just be like oh someone God. bringing their own thing to it but when you think about no, like i fundamentally agree with the point but imagine if that was the game they made instead of the game where we have fucking weird robot overlords just imagine square enix trying to definitely write that game and handle that theme well oh, well no. to be fair square enix has trouble just pulling off like really generic like genre tropes and stuff so i mean they made a game about four crystals 13 times and still dropped the ball on a regular basis yeah, yeah well I don't think yeah. there'd be much difference if they attempted something like, I don't know, more true to life or more real or more, I don't know, serious. I don't know. I guess we'll, we'll see in, when we get to Final Fantasy XV with its political intrigue, sort of. want to move on to this rpg comment okay yeah i like this because in the scene one dude has an rpg and they just instantly obliterate a behemoth with it like i know it's a cut scene but i just love that this is the greatest bazooka in the world because this is a universe in which you can summon a flying dragon robot and then just use like this orbital laser and only do 50,000 damage to this behemoth, but this one bazooka just atomizes it. It's very good. Yeah, there's something about like explosives and behemoths in this chapter alone where like, it, I guess that's their one weakness. We should have just snow throwing hand grenades. Wait, that, I have, yeah, I have a note about the world's most powerful grenade later. <laughs> I can imagine a bazooka doing that, you know. Bazookas are really overpowered in this game. They're the yeah. Lissi's biggest weakness. So oh, the fact God, that I yeah. can take down a behemoth, yeah, I'll believe it. Like the strongest bazooka in all of fiction. Oh my God, those things are such a pain in the ass. But anyway. The heroes find their ways to an interchange where a single Sanctum soldier is about to be killed by an Adam and Chalid. I love that this is the Sanctum soldier your party cares about after we killed like 30 at a race that we engaged in terrorism on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well. This is, this is the one. <laughs> This guy had seven kids in his wallet instead of just one. <laughs> so we fight the Adam and child, right? Uh, oh, God, it is Chellid. Fuck, why is that so stupid? Yeah, I'm All pretty right. sure it has an etymology. Chellid, Adam and Chellid. I believe it does. Yeah. It doesn't make it not bad, though. <laughs> the heroes should now be strong enough so that the Adam and Chellid is uh, ranked down from a super boss to just a tough boss. 
it's got a lot of hit points, does a lot of damage, but it has some strong weaknesses. It's uh, very susceptible to several debuffs, particularly Daze. It's uh, elementally weak to ice. It does have this standard walking attack that deals a lot of damage, but any sort of defense can take the bite out of its attacks. It does Quake, which hits for a decent amount of damage, uh, but Bay is the real big one because it hits the party hard and can inflict Daze. They have a decent HP pool and do a lot of damage, but the HP pool isn't so high that you can't just take it down if you get a stagger going. Yeah, I barely got by the last fight. It took me several tries, and then it throws me into this fight without a save point in between, and then this guy starts stomping me, and I get real mad. <laughs> for some reason, Fang's the one who has Days and Days Ga and should be casting it all the time. But her AI just doesn't want to use it. Like she keeps doing, you know, slow, which takes a while to proc. And at best, those are like 30% chances to to land. And Daze is 50%. And she just chooses not to use Daze. I mean, and I used Libroscopes too. I so I'm I was just very confused. Like this fight was yeah, they, hard enough. They prefer an action that will have a longer term effect to one that has a shorter term effect. Yeah, yeah, see, but also it does more damage when it's moving, so <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah I, sure. I ended up switching out uh, Vanille for, for Hope at this point, and that was my party was Lightning, Fang, and Hope. And I was able to get by with Protect on, but it was not easy. And this was still before when I had Haste on Hope. Oh, this is this is so easy if you have Haste. Oh, yeah, it's so much better because you can just land the debuffs so much faster, and then you can just pile on more damage during staggers. It's Haste is OP. I didn't have too much trouble with this Adamant Trellid because I think at this point I did warp back to our Chilta step and I did fight one and beat it, but like maybe not. I don't know. The point is is that it was very doable for me, even if it was like problematic. Well, the other thing that I'm picking up on based on your party composition is that you have two characters who are ranged, which means they're standing on the ground the whole time. So you're just taking a lot more damage as a party. Well, I had mm-hmm. lightning and fang and you know with the spark strikes and whatever lightning is getting up and, you know, off the ground. It's just, of course, when you're doing dual saboteurs, then yes, they're both getting hit. Or if you have like hope in the background and then it's just, yeah, I thought that I would be able to mitigate more damage by being more aggressive, but that didn't really help. Mm. So it just having, having some defensive buffs on me just made it more manageable. That was the way I struggled through this. Nice. The heroes travel down an interchange riddled with Sanctum troops and the devastating Humbaba, which are the toughest versions of the behemoths yet. The nice thing about these guys, unlike some of the other behemoths, when they stand up, their chain gauge does not reset. So really, you just need to ride that chain gauge until you stagger them, dump whatever debuffs, and, you know, use Army of One until you can do enough damage to kill it. These guys were tough for me, especially at the beginning, especially when you're fighting two of them. But haste made these guys so much easier because I could kill them before they stood up or like shortly thereafter. Oh, you know why I had such an easier time with this than you did is because I bought one ability on Hope's Commando. So then I just had three commandos. Oh, nice. yeah. And you just do a billion damage. Yeah, I added two skills to the lightning synergist because I was running without a synergist for a while, but that, that ended up being useless. Yeah. This part of the game, unless you're really doing extra stuff, like I don't think there's really much incentive to add a fourth class to any of these guys, because even the, the early stages of those classes are still like six grand a piece. Like you're still spending like 
30 40k before you you can even use some of them especially not oh. even the skill you might want at that point so yeah. well, ruin is right? like one note away so oh, okay. you get ruin yeah. and now hope can do ruin and you have three commandos and it's the ability that hope would do the most damage with you just wreck shop once you get a dude up to 999 like uh, oh, yeah, using that... army of one you just switch over to a cerberus and then just obliterate everything yeah see i wish i had i wish i knew that <laughs> i didn't even bother to look because i'm like hope commando no not even worth no it. ruin 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 is the trick ruins how you win yeah, the game ruin, ruin is time. magic basically right it's magic yeah it's off the magic stat the only reason ah. hope gets even gets attack nodes is because uh your eidolons uh scale up with your stats and hope's eidolon attacks physically a lot gotcha yeah as the heroes approach Siren Park, more Seed join the ranks of Pulse's invading forces. Barkalakis and vampires make a return. Oribans, the Sahagan-like enemies from Sulia Springs, make a return too. New enemies include the Sanctum Inquisitrix, which is the Huntress enemy archetype taken to E11. The Vernal Harvester is an Aster Protoflorian kind of enemy, but is otherwise unnoteworthy besides it being actually pretty hard it's devastating yeah this area has like a couple twisting pathways and you don't have to fight everything here there's a lot of enemies in this stretch uh you can just take one or the other there are items in there you can probably grab if you wanted to but at this point i was getting really fatigued because these fights were still a struggle and really i was just hoping i'd get preemptive strikes wherever i could to make them trivial so i just i rushed through this section i didn't like run around I did all of this as like a really advanced form of self-harm because I guess I just hate myself. <laughs> Apparently. See, I would normally do it. Like I did every platform in chapter nine on the way to the bridge. So you want to know what you get for it? You get fucking garbage. <laughs> you get perfumes. <laughs> yeah, you get fucking. Who cares? It's money. So you said buy things. There, there are other ways to get video money. game money in a game where money is completely irrelevant. Right, well, like fifteen thousand fucking nothing because you unlock a chocobo and you dig up a gold dust for thirty thousand, and that's the least valuable item you get on pulse. Uh, no, you can get stuff that's cheaper than that. Well, yeah, but that that is just direct upgrade materials. I'm just talking about in terms of pure money, a perfume is like fucking nothing. Like yeah, your up, your upgrade materials are five hundred thousand. That's so many perfumes for one. So. After you're smart enough to not fight all these guys in the park, uh, your party finds a door that won't open, and then it opens. What a fucking incredible twist. Mm-hmm. On the other side is uh, is Nora. They let the uh, Lassie heroes do their business and then leave, realizing that they have no obligations to or responsibility in the story, and then disappear from the game. Yeah. <laughs> At some point, right, so what are your characters... Uh, Give Snow a ribbing about something, and uh, that's what I noticed, that over the course of the game, Snow's character subtly shifted slightly without them changing the way that Snow presents himself, so that mm. when he says, I'm your fearless leader, you're not supposed to laugh at the boss, it comes off as self-aware, where earlier in the game he basically says that, and he comes off as an arrogant dick. Yeah, yeah, he's a little bit more humble. So, like, I, I can't detect what changed, but he moved, like... He shifted like 5% without the presentation changing at all. Well, yeah, because like the entire time 
you know, he's gung ho and and whatnot. And then he has the breakdown in chapter seven and shows vulnerability and he gets absolved by uh, Hope's dad. And then he gets real bummed out about misunderstanding Sarah's focus. And then he gets his resolve back. It's a weird circular arc, but you're right that he shows at least a hair of of humility here. But it's not a lot. Leviathan Plaza is scourged with some of the hardest encounters yet. Juggernauts are here now. And you also start encountering more dual Humbaba fights, which are also pretty tough. And we also start seeing the Sanctum Celebrants. And these are the bazooka class enemies in this chapter. They're real obnoxious. They knock you on the ground and they start showing up in mobs where they just become real obnoxious. You can't really kill them quickly enough to not get interrupted by another one. I'm really interested in uh, Cocoon's apparently like plaza based economy. <laughs> it's just like nothing but plazas and highways the entire time. You know, it's a lot like, oh, God, what's the name of that? Uh, oh, this is going to kill me. Uh, the city in Final Fantasy VIII. Uh, Esther. Esther. Yes, it's a lot. Or Esther. I don't know which one. Is. Like, it's a lot like that where it's very super futuristic, but also very sanitized. Poppy? Maybe. All right. As they approach the Eden Hall, there's a weird chaff-like substance in the air. They believe it's Cocoon structure falling apart. Perhaps Orphan is growing weak and cannot keep it together? Fucking plot dust. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not what it is. <laughs> but it's because... basically what it is. It's end of game dust. Yeah, oh, sure. You get this. Uh, you do get this cutscene though, right? Uh, where so where Dicely shows up, and it's just giant Dicely head filling the screen. It's the best. Oh, it's it's so goofy, and it, like it it smash. <laughs> it's a smash cut. So like all of a sudden, you just see face, and you're like, oh, I guess it's really no. Oh, it's actually it's, a size of a. It's building. even better because it's preceded by thirty seconds of your characters displaying the worst hand eye coordination ever on display in a video <laughs> game where no one can catch a single piece of plot dust, and then giant robot jaguar head. <laughs> no, he's in human form. That's what makes it weirder. Like, Oh, just, shit, you're right! You're, <laughs> it's, it's just him and his, like, Pope hat with, like, you know, the veil on top of it. Just <laughs> it's, it's very Wizard of Oz, but, like, super, super goofy. And then it shrinks, and then he becomes normal size. Yeah, and then he says, kill the cavalry, and just fucking, like, vertically takes off on it with his magic staff basically villain cackling the whole time. I mean, see, this is why I called him Barty McFly. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> oh, and then we gotta cap off this incredible cutscene with Hope coming in to tell us what the point the theme of the game is in case I'm a moron. He just says, we'll decide our own destiny. Fucking thanks, Hope. They've been saying that for the last 20 hours. <laughs> yeah, but look, <sighs> you might not understand it. When, um, when no one's saying the theme of the game, you should be wondering, what's the theme of the game? That reminds me of that uh, that picture, Graham, you posted in Slack of Lightning saying, when you really think about when it. you really think really about it, this, <laughs> this really was fun. I guess I did defy my fate. <laughs> this really was the Final Fantasy thirteen. Anyway. <laughs> when the heroes enter a mall, an adamantus falls and breaks the floor. The adamantus seems okay. 
I thought this was pretty cool because you see it outside of the hall. And of course, you know, you try to fight it and it destroys you because it does 7,000 damage per stomp. And you don't have 7,000 hit points at this point. You, you want to hear a good story, Matt? Yeah. I, I swapped in Vanille and death landed immediately. Oh, I hate you. Nice. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> Just first try, first oh. cast, nailed it. I tried it like twice, and then it's like this fight lasts five seconds. Then I have like a minute and a half of loading. I'm not gonna try this again. So like I even like loaded up on. Oh my god, items, are the like, load times up, that long? On PS3, yeah, they're well, they're not that long. They're like it feels like forever before you're back in the fight. Oh, it's dude, it's like obnoxious. three seconds on my PC. <laughs> oh god, yeah, no, it's not that. No, it didn't work for me at all, and. So you're not supposed to kill it because you walk forward and then it's in the cutscene. So like, I think that's kind of a neat little mechanical thing that like you built in. You're not supposed to kill it. Therefore, is it? I assume that it was in the cutscene anyway for you. It wasn't just like a cutscene. Nope, without no, no cutscene. No cutscene. No cutscene. Oh, even better. That's cool. I'm just like, oh, hey, check out like these four particle accelerators. That's like two hundred thousand gil. Yeah. See, fuck you because. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, you could only pick one of the two, and I got the fucking Chocobo plush. Wait, is it Particle Accelerator or Ultra Compact Reactors? It's Particle Accelerators. I just looked so it that's, up. So that's like 40, 40k. Right. So like, if you kill the guy, you get both. Otherwise, you get one. And I picked the wrong one, and I didn't bother looking up what the other one was, or else I would have gotten the Particle Accelerators. So, uh, fuck me, I guess. Yeah, that's what happened to me, I think. I got the Chocobo plush, and I never really looked up what was in the other... Treasure yeah. Sephir, because I didn't want to care. It turns out it's four times as much money. Yeah, right. but go to the left. Get the one on the left, if you're playing a log. <laughs> anyway. So the Adamantis is okay, and that's what's most important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the mall, there are Humbabas that are susceptible to preemptive strikes and celebrants. The fights with the celebrants were tough because I kept getting bombarded with bazookas, and it was too tough to deal with because... Even if you have a sentinel active, if that sentinel is near your other party members, when the bazooka burst hits, it will stagger everyone. Eventually, I got the idea of moving my sentinel away from my party members so that when snow started drawing fire, the bazooka blasts were away from the other two party members. Can you move characters? Mm, Well, like, here's what you do. When you want a character to get away from another, uh, well, at least in this situation, I switched him to be a commando, and I got him to, like, run up and punch an enemy, and just as he's up close to the enemies, he switches a sentinel, so now he's close to the enemies, but the other two party members, as in Vanille's, they're far away by themselves. Oh, yeah, because you have dual casters, yeah, yeah. This little scenario reminds me of Chrono Trigger, where you don't have the ability to move, but at the same time... Hero and enemy placement means something. That, that's a nice little hack to control what your spacing is. Because of things like this, I kind of wish the game gave you a little bit more explicit control. I don't know how they would do that. Mm-hmm. But yep. Just a little bit. Just like a... Yeah. B- basic formations would be good. Yeah. I just used diversity and just had to suck it up with the fact that Hope is permanent medic and this will take slightly longer. Yeah. No, the bazooka guys, they suck. And I think... The thing you're supposed to do is you're supposed to have Saz casting Vigilance so you don't get knocked on your ass. But, you know, there's one fight here, and it's, I believe, like four regular soldiers and then two of these bazooka guys, the celebrants, and 
what ends up happening is that you're trying to kill the first celebrant and then the second one shoots you and then the first one shoots you <laughs> and then you end up being real mad. And also you're never going to change up your party because then you get here's the chore of putting a bunch of paradigms in. Oh, yeah, exactly. You don't want to like and plus Saz doesn't replace hope. He just like you get a synergist, but he's a bad commando. He he's not a great ravenger. And now you don't have a, a second medic. So you have to swap out Fang and it's just it's the whole or, or lightning. It It's just the whole thing. Not great. I didn't like this last section was not great. Oh, I forgot to mention, but the second we go inside this door past this at Mantoys, like I have almost no fun for the rest of the game. When the party enters Eden Hall, the Sanctum sends out their elite guards in a scene, right? And then Pulse warps in some juggernauts behind you. And you're going to have to fight a bunch of dudes no matter what. Don't fight the juggernauts because you just get some garbage and a treasure sphere behind them. But uh, you have this like short section where there's groups of Sanctum troops behind barricades. And then they send out their, the little panther dudes around the corner. And that's pretty cool, right? Because that feel, I like that. It feels like an active environment. And then you get through there. And you see a bunch of civilians, uh, like the, the elites, complaining about stuff. And it was just, like, very interesting because they gave you, a, like, a successful setup of this is the Sanctum's, like, last holdout protecting the civilians. And this is also where you get the return of the female Sanctum soldiers, the really badly designed female Sanctum soldiers. But now they buff themselves even harder and they do this, like, kick combo that just wrecks your shit. Those fights sucked. I didn't, I didn't like those at all. Nope. Well, if you thought that combat encounter went on for too long, uh, after this section, you go through another blast door, you see a bunch of pulse soldiers, and then Bartandalus turns all of them into Seath. The new Seath enemy, the Sacrifice, will plague the entire party with a bunch of debuffs, and sometimes they'll even cast Death, which, uh, it's an instant kill sometimes when it lands, uh, it does decent damage when it doesn't, but, uh, it can land on your party leader and just immediately cause a game over. I'm getting flashbacks to Persona 5. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> typically, uh, these debuffs are just shit like poison, which doesn't matter at all. The no. big problem is that these guys have a million hit points. They take forever to kill. Not a million as in literally, because enemies have more than that. They just have a lot. And they take a long time to kill because they're resistant to everything. I think I think I had an easier time with this. I forget if I like imperiled them and that helped stagger them more easily. I, I don't really remember, but I, I remember I got to this point. I was exhausted. I was like, I hate this chapter now. The last like hour has not been fun. And then I'm like, this hallway is going to suck. And then it wasn't that bad. You know what it was? These guys are really easy to get preemptive strikes on because sometimes they just turn around and you just yeah. walk up behind it. Like there's also a section where you fight two of them first and then you fight two single ones by themselves. And why is it not the other way around? I don't know. Sometimes this game does the right thing of introducing you to a new enemy by itself and then two of them and then maybe them in another kind. 
And then sometimes it doesn't do that at all. It gives you three of them at once, and then it makes you fight one of them by themselves. It It's not great pacing. What if, what if I told you they might not have thought about it too hard when they were just pressing Control-V to paste sacrifices everywhere? Probably wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. There's an infighting battle between two sacrifices and a Vernal Harvester that, despite being an infighting battle, was really hard for me. Uh, it's because the sacrifices do debuffs, and then they take too long to kill, and then the Vernal Harvester does a lot of damage, and he sh- pushes your shit in while you can't do anything about it. True. Yep, pretty much. After we uh, eventually slog our way through way too many of these dudes, uh, the heroes come to the gates of Orphan's Cradle, where the Proudclad is just laying on the ground in front of the door. It activates, and Roche once again attacks the Lassie heroes, and you fight the same boss again. Yeah. It's harder, I think. Yeah, the numbers are higher. Look at yeah. Final Fantasy XIII.txt. Let's fight the same guy with bigger numbers. No, he has different moves. It is a slightly different moveset, but it's more or less the same, and I did not do well in the first fight. This fight was fine. Haste really makes a difference. Yeah. I don't know if there's anything more I should say about it at this point. <laughs> there's, no, there's nothing else to say about it. It's the same guy, right? So... He has one laser that does more damage than the other lasers, and that's really it. You could change the words on the text bubble, but functionally it's the same thing, except this time he just magically heals halfway through the fight back to full health. Yeah, there's also the... I don't remember that, but there's also the the Muon Blaster move that we saw in, like, Chapter 7 with, like, uh, the Ushmiol Subjugator or whatever it was called. Uh, Yeah. But then again, it's not a big deal. No, that's the other laser I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But this battle laser. was really hard. This battle was like was the it? hardest. It was the hardest uh, battle for me this game. Was really? it? What happened? Ooh. I don't know. I sucked. And it, okay. it didn't. <laughs> oh, well, you you were using a different party, though. You were using uh, Snow, Saz, Saz, and Snow Vanille, right? and Vanille, yeah. yeah that might a... not be the optimal uh, no. party for this battle. No, because you only have one medic. The first few tries were unsuccessful, but I reconfigured my paradigms and included more paradigms of the Sentinel role, and that kind of changed it for me, I think. Chris has mentioned this before, but for, like, the story, Lightning Fang and Hope is... The pain train. Yeah, it's the much stronger party, or at least more balanced in some ways. Yeah, you just having two medics becomes so crucial in this back half of the game. Yeah, you have two of every role that you would want two of, and then one of the role that you only want to use occasionally. I don't know. Mm. Double Saboteurs was pretty great for a while, but only if you're, you know, you can actually debuff things. But it, it, it appeared to me that in my playtime, right, like, because they have different debuffs for the most of the game, right. but, uh, like, enemies were either immune to one Saboteur or the other in its entirety. It's not like this one is immune to half of Vanille's and this one's immune to half of Fang. It's just... This guy's immune to Vanille. Switch out for Fang. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, it's usually... I mean, I remember being able to land both. It's just that slow, it doesn't tend to land a whole lot. And so, like, Fang might put out, like, an Imperil and a D-Protect and then just be casting slow for three rounds because it's not landing. It's a low percentage. It's fine, right? Because it yeah. it adds to the meter okay, and still it basically functions as another commando. And it's still like, does whenever damage. I had a whenever I had a role where Fang was saboteur, I did not have a commando. I just had uh, saboteur, ravager, ravager. 
Yeah, I, I like that the saboteur moves actually do decent damage because, you know, in a lot of these RPGs, I don't like to use status effect spells because they don't do damage, and it just yeah, you're giving up an, you're giving it up an action for future actions, and most of the fights don't go long enough for you to get a return on that action you spent. And the magic points, mm. because you're you're spending extra magic points you don't need to spend. Yeah. Yeah. Roche is defeated. He is weak from the fight and bleeding. With his final ounce of strength, he orders his troops to cease hunting the Lassie and focus on helping citizens evacuate Cocoon. The heroes are allowed into Orphan's cradle while Roche stays outside. With two behemoths looming closer to him, his final act is to sacrifice himself with an explosive to eliminate the beasts. You know what? Th- at the very last second, they make Roche into a good villain, and then he just dies with, like, the world's most powerful grenade. It is huge letdown. Roche would be a much better villain than, like, Dicely is. Yeah. Yeah, because... That would be the whole, I believe in my cause. My cause may make me the do bad things, but then realize his cause was actually bad the whole time. Or, so he shouldn't well, have Well, eh. no, that's the thing, right? The, the, a good villain is, like, somebody with, like, a good point. They just mm-hmm. implement the point poorly or absolutely. Instead of, yo, check me out, I wear a miter and fly around a lot. And then also, like... Make everything work in the background so that you don't die. And uh, I, <laughs> the things I want to happen, happen. Yeah. Yeah, not a great, not a great villain. That's the end of the chapter. Does yep. uh, anybody have any closing thoughts on chapter 12? I do. Let's hear them. Well, uh, I know that some of you weren't down on it. I think that the pacing of this chapter is really good. The, the, um, the ratio of story and encounters was really good. I enjoyed this part of the game quite a bit. I conceptually like this part of the game. Like, I agree with you, like, in terms of, like, number of dudes you fight to story, it's really good. The environments are really good. Like, they actually do really interesting things with the hallway structure, right? You're, like, going down a highway over, like, crashed cars. You're, like, doubling back as you navigate a collapsed highway. The visuals are great. Like, the draw distances are huge. It's just that the fights are too long. If the fights yeah. were shorter, this would be like an unqualified win. Yeah, I would agree with and that. And I still like it until we go inside and start fighting sacrifices. Yeah, the sacrifice. Yeah, I we've had completely different experiences, you know, because like the first half of this battle, like I the vi- visually great, you know, in terms of upping the ante. Awesome. But these battles were really kicking my ass and I was getting low stars for the first half of it. And then once I, I got the magic key, which is haste. I ended up doing better, but still running into some battles that were still not a whole lot of fun, like with the, you know, with the Sanctum Ladies. And Mm -hmm. I think I think what it comes down to is that whenever possible, I prefer to just numbers through it. And the debuffs that the sacrifices do didn't keep me from numbersing through it. So I Mm -hmm. didn't do any debuffing. Okay, yeah, no, but I always, you always try to do debuffing, which is what gives you. You should a, really try to debuff. Yeah. Well, I'm already done with this game, and I'm never going to play this game again. I mean, the only time you don't want to do that with these soldiers, you want to just go full aggro because their health is low enough that you can kill two or three with a handful of blitzes. But the problem is, then you get interrupted by the bazooka guys. Like they they explicitly have them there to slow you down, so you can't just you know knock out the whole party very quickly but otherwise yeah i always debuff debuffing is is too strong not to do it every time 
unless you're just trying to go real fast. Yeah. But otherwise, I mean, story is fine. I mean, I wish they did more with Yogg. The giant head thing was fucking hilarious. <laughs> giant head is so good. Also, why the fuck did Nora have to come back? No one was curious what Nora no. thought about the plot. I mean, I know why they brought him back, but, you know, whatever, who cares? If I were taking snapshots, like screenshots of this game to save and upload for, for each episode, I would totally use Giant Dizely Face. Oh, it's the best. It's so good. I might make that a profile picture. <laughs> I noticed this thing today, because spoilers for this podcast, uh, I started playing Final Fantasy XIII 2, and I just thought about this because we're talking about Nora. Godot has the most well-defined muscles ever, but <laughs> they don't protrude from his body. Oh, so, like no. He's some slightly muscular, but still completely emaciated because it's just basically a flat, super skinny torso with defined muscles. It's very strange. That is uh, concerning. Yeah. It's a little weird. <laughs> he's even weirder in a 13-2 where... All, both of all of your character's hair is incredibly well animated, and then he's got like an entire mm. jar of like just fucking product in his hair, and it doesn't move ever. Yep. Uh, yep. Well, that's it for closing thoughts, I guess. Yep. You can email the show using the contact form on our website, lightningstrikesthrice.com, or get in touch with us via Twitter at lightxthrice, or on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash lightxthrice. Uh, you can listen to my other net network podcast, Magmar Sucks, where we're building an ordered list of all Pokemon from most to least interesting, one at a time. Do you guys have plugs? Plugs, plugs, plugs. No plugs for me. I am plugless. I'm still doing that Let's Play of New Threat, a gameplay mod for Final Fantasy VII. At the time of this recording, I am currently at the Temple of the Ancients, so by the time it's released, I don't know, I'll be at Medeal? Maybe at the underwater reactor, hunting for the huge materia, question mark? I don't know. Well, I guess that's it for now. See you next episode when we're uh, talking about Chapter 13. All right. This podcast was brought to you by the Pitch Drop Podcast Network. Like what you just heard? Support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash pitch drop. And while you're at it, check out pitchdrop.net for more of this and other shows.